This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Sometimes when you're having a baby, it sort of takes precedence over things. I, I just think he's starting to skate now. Some days you look like, you know, uh, whirlwinds, and other days you you don't. Definitely walk my dogs more often than they were used to. <laughs> it's a dog city, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's uh, definitely been a long time coming. You know, we know that they're going to be coming all over us. Well, that's my favorite Brock Bessard quote ever. I don't know if it should be or not. And by the way, I think that's a two-minute penalty. It might be double minor. I don't think it's a major. Andy, that's at least a minor if you do that all over the ice. I mean, it depends on how frequently it happens. You know, I imagine each time the penalty would increase. You could... And eventually just have to throw you out. Repeat offenders. Yeah. Game misconduct. Yeah, very mature show we have here. You know, but if the you give the people what they want. Exactly. It's one of the key things. Hello there. Good morning. Brooke Ward with you along with... Dan O'Connor, Andy Cole, we got A. Cole here. A, a dog sounds a lot better, I know, but... Yeah, I mean, you could call me A. Cole if you want, but that <sighs> kind of rhymes with something I don't like so much. It's so. been done more than once this morning, I think. Uh, and uh, Dan O'Connor with us. Hello, Dan. We're all in for Halford and Bruff, who are missing in action this week. Hello, Mr. O'Connor. How you doing? Good morning, guys. Uh, day two, day two. Uh, of the show, and day two of me still not getting me, me still not getting that Brock Bester quote, and I'm, I'm hoping by the end of the week anyway that I'll, I'll get Brooke to explain it to I me. Really, don't want to. You, uh, your your <laughs> uncle Jack, he was at the Giants game last night. He was asking me about uh, that. Complimented you, by the way. Lots of props for you and Andy, at least, at the Vancouver Giants last game. So. A lot of loyal listeners who are out there to watch. The Giants lost 3 nothing, by the way, last night with an empty netter to Victoria and play on Friday night in Victoria. But uh, otherwise, pretty good hockey game. And uh, I'm glad you're here, Dan. Dan, I'm always glad you're here. They miss you out there, though. Yeah, yeah you, know you know what? what? It's, it's um, um, oh, got, got the echo in my head again for a second. Nope, we're, we're, we're good now. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I... I Hope to go to more games in the new year. It's one of my many, many resolutions, and maybe we can get into some of those tomorrow when uh, when when it's our final show of 2022 together, guys. But uh, good morning. It's um, it's an exciting day, you know, on, on the heels of a, of a very emphatic bounce back from Canada at the World Juniors Canucks game day, where they go into Winnipeg, a Canucks team that's won three in a row against a Jets team that is uh, that has lost three in a row. So I think we've got some intrigue, uh, you know, certainly pertaining to this matchup. Are the Jets right for the picking? Uh, can the Vancouver Canucks go two games over 500 for the season uh, on the cusp of a very difficult stretch of scheduling? Uh, it's just great to be reconnected with you guys from, uh, you know, from this vantage point. And I'm looking forward to what the show has in store today. You'd be the one, man. Uh, that's good for you, though. Halford and Bruff are away this week, and they'll be back on Tuesday of next week. So this is everything you want from a morning show except for Halford and Bruff. It's just past 0600 on a Thursday morning. What does the O stand for? Oh, my God, it's early. Who starts it? I guess stockbrokers, you got to have your 6 a.m. radio. I mean, Andy, if I had my choice, though, that, that little prime 8 to 11 slot, 
Oh, I've been pushing for that for years. It's never happened. Come on, this man. This doesn't seem to be in the cards. <laughs> Who needs this? Although the big Ontario audience that uh, Halford and Bruff have, though. This is guys. true. Yeah. So, I mean. Halford and Bruff, known Leafs fans. Yeah, exactly. So they're <laughs> running nine. This program, when they're here, nine to noon back at Sportsnet. Oh, absolutely. East as well. So that's kind of prime time. But uh, we get you through the morning drive. But who the heck's out there at 6 a.m. in the morning? I've always wondered, who needs, who needs sports at 6 a.m.? But I'm glad you do because we're here. <laughs> if nothing else. Well, uh, and, and hey, guys, it's 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 one of those things where, like, I, I mean, I, I did morning radio for ooh, five years in my younger days, and I and I never got used to it. Some people, a dog, I'm not sure about you. If if it's you've done this long enough, where it just sort of comes naturally uh, to you after so long, you just sort of get used to your routine. I never did. The the alarm when it rang in the morning when it sound in the morning it, it just never felt natural it was always a chore always a bit of a battle for me to get up so i envy the folks that that can just do this um w- without even blinking because yesterday i felt it it was a uh it was a grind even for me yesterday at about 11 a.m to be like oh yeah i've been i've been up already for about you know six and a half hours already i know it's it's tricky i mean i this is your eight or nine for me doing mornings and uh i have to i have a two alarm system i have to set two alarms just on the off chance my first one fails because that has happened once or twice but uh yeah you you don't really ever get used to it but you kind of develop a rhythm over time and it gets a little bit easier i used to be graveyard at uh, many times actually back early in my career i was a country music disc jockey graveyard on WX1130, when it used to be on Burrard Street. I'm going way back to the 1980s, probably a couple of years ahead of both of your times. But I was a, a graveyard, midnight to six, uh, disc jockey on country music radio WX1130 in this neat little old, old studio on Burrard Street. And you never got used to that. And literally, disc jockey, you actually had to physically put the disc in the player, did you not? I assume you're not firing off of carts or anything. It was carts back then in the 80s. Yeah, oh, you had so the little, little, like the it tape, was tape shaped carts. Size of an, another thing you won't know, understand an eight track. It was right, right, right. Well, a, I remember that in radio school. They showed us, like, this is how we used to do it. And I'm just like, wow, it. that's a. I can just click a button here. You had songs and you had your commercials, and they were all individually done on what looked like an eight track and had one song on each. And in country music, every song was two minutes long. So by the end of a six hour shift, you had played every country music song ever written. So, uh, and uh, you'd pop it into a machine, you hit a button, it plays, and the commercials did the same thing. Pop it into a machine, hit a button, it would play. Now and then I was spinning actual vinyl records. Oh, wow. Back in the day with their pops and their skips and See, all We got to bring that back. That's well, got to be a thing again. Oh, you know, some people like the flavor of the vinyl records. Oh, vinyl, I'm a. I'm a big audiophile, I guess you'll say. And I mean, vinyl, it doesn't sound better than that. Like, it's just, it's such a clean, warm sound. It, it's nothing, it, I mean, it's it doesn't sound like digital at all. Like, if you have a, the, a chance to listen to a really good album on vinyl, that's the way to do it. If you have a good ear uh, as well. And Dan, we used good to... Good sound uh, system helps also. It's still cool at home, Dan, uh, if... For those who have, I think anyway, a, an actual turntable at home that you're running the, the odd record on in this day and age, and people say that's how we used to do it. Yep. Well, so I read a story yesterday, guys, that I guess in 2022, for the first time probably since the 80s, I would imagine vinyl sales uh, were larger than compact disc sales. And duh, I guess. But, uh, you know, you, you sort of you walk through, you, you know, any city now seems to have a record store. Oh, yeah. Uh, r- really cool to uh, to see it. Um, so, so that's sort of 
sort of fitting. And the uh, we, our, our myths have been dispelled early here this morning, Brooke, on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Um, uh, Adam, the former bath guy, is up. Miner Matt from Abbotsford is up. Ramsey, the highway worker, uh, 5 a.m. start for him. So good morning, guys. Thank you for weighing in and thank you for assuring us. Dawn in Penticton as well is uh, is up and, and, and sounding off on us a little bit to, to start the day. But no, it's uh, the 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 record versus compact disc 2022, the year that uh, vinyl sales uh, are are really pronounced uh, in their rise again. I don't have to like the 4:30 a.m. wake up call, even though we have some people who are up now. That didn't mean I have to like it. Even if I was doing it every day, don't have to like it. But Adam, the the former bath guy, gets up at 4 a.m. every day to stop whining. Uh, I'll take that in a positive manner. Recycling truck. You mentioned uh, Ramsey. 3.30 a.m. He works the highways. 3.30 a.m. Thank you, Ramsey. Good morning, Ramsey. He's the guy who tuned me in yesterday about the reflectors that I can't remember what they're called, Ramsey, again. Uh, But the highway reflectors that uh, have been missing in action since the snow fell and that the... uh, uh, the snow plows clip them off and uh, clip the tops off. And so be careful on the roads, especially when it's slick out there, because it takes them till spring, Ramsey told me yesterday, before they glue them back down again. Uh, and, uh, yeah, a lot of people get up early. So I'm glad we're here because some people get up early. If you're working at 7-Eleven, you never sleep. But it doesn't mean I have to like that 4.30 a.m. wake-up call after a Giants game the night before and getting home at midnight. Nah, but that's how we rule as well. Yes, I know. I didn't know. Getting up for sports radio was so tough, says somebody on the inbox as well. It's not a lot of fun. Who wants to get up at 4 in the frickin' morning, man? Uh, the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can get in it now as some people are doing 650-650. Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. You can visit them on our beauties in Vancouver. Uh, Dunbar Lumber also on Bridge Street in Ladner. Online at DunbarLumber.com. We come to you from the Kin Tech Studios. Andy's up early. We're all up early this morning. Coming to you live from the Kintech Studio, Kintech Footwear, Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Uh, and by the way, Don in Penticton says the Brock Besser soundbite is getting old. It's day two for that clip. You know, we know that they're going to be coming all over us everywhere on the ice. It's going to be heard probably a few. It's day two. It's, it's really unfortunate that Don texted that in because obviously <laughs> now, just despite Don, I'm going to be playing it way more than I had planned and oh, lower the bar even further as we like to do on this show. Look what you've done, Don. Yeah, way to go, bud. You've lowered it enough this week without Halford and Bruff here with myself <laughs> and Dan and. So I think most of the listeners are used to the juvenile humor by now, but every once in a know. while, you know. I don't know. Once in a while. I'm not necessarily big on it uh, every day of the week, but it's two days old. This is Radio Dawn, lesson number one in radio. If you get a soundbite like that as an example, uh, you're probably going to hear it for a while. Uh, it, it's going to be a hotkey. It's still fresh. Yeah. It's still fresh. It's still simmering on the pot right now. Meanwhile, let's get rocking. Let's get rolling. Let's find out what happened. <laughs> Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? Dano, big time, world junior. You can tell me what happened. Why should I save my breath here early in the morning? I'm still at my second cup of tea. Uh... What happened last night? World juniors, it went the right direction for Canada last night, my friend. 
Uh, boy, did it ever. And, and I think the two glaring storylines from this game, uh, one is some low-hanging fruit for Canuck fans, which I'll get to in a moment, but seven points for Connor Bedard. And, and just when you think that this player has sort of, okay, yeah, 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 first overall pick in the 2023 NHL draft, uh, can we talk about something else? Well, he goes out and does something spectacular something that just no ordinary human being can do seven points in an 11-2 victory for Canada Connor Bedard seven points uh only two other Canadians have ever gotten seven points in a world junior game can you name them no I will for you Dave Andrachuk did it in 1983 and then in 2009 in Saskatoon I was actually at this game when Gabriel Bork opened the tournament against Latvia I believe it was he had a seven point game for, for Canada so some uh, rare company for Connor Bedard in his uh, seven point outing against Germany and an 11-2 win for Canada that has everybody breathing a little bit easier today uh, Canada plays Austria a little later on today, so that is no doubt going to be a victory for Canada. They're going to be 2-1 and one by the end of the day. Uh, there, I'll say it, and um, setting up what's going to be just an incredible hockey game on New Year's Eve against the Swedes. Uh, but the other takeaway from the game yesterday, guys, and I know that Twitter was was going on this a little bit, and I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll poke the bear a little bit this morning. Uh, another hat trick on the Canadian roster, and it was courtesy of Dylan Gunther. Uh, why does this matter? Well, Dylan Gunther was the uh, first round selection that the Arizona Coyotes used from the draft pick that they received from the Vancouver Canucks in the trade that netted Vancouver, Connor Garland and Oliver Ekman Larson. So, uh, would you rather have uh, have a uh, an up and coming Dylan Gunther on your uh, in your prospect pipeline or door door number 2 Oliver Ekman Larson and Connor Garland so uh, Dylan Gunther sort of leading the way uh, offensively as well for Canada and providing us with some early morning fodder on this Thursday yes sir back to Jim Benning and the boys as we wait to see if things have changed with how well the Canucks do on trades under Rutherford and Alvin as well but I didn't like there's so many things you brought up right there, Dan, too. I didn't like the that deal in the first place simply because I mean you finally got around it going back to Benning, but it still, as you mentioned, filters through with Gunther here, who's played, by the way, twenty one games this year in the National Hockey League, has three goals and eight assists as well. Uh so I mean basically this guy also has had a taste at this age, the former Edmonton Oil King. But yeah, I didn't like that deal when it was done. A w- never mind Garland who is doing well, I would say, at the moment at $5 million. Another contract, the Canucks could, I like him, but do I like him at $5 mil? Another contract long-term, another contract the Canucks could look at moving if you're trying to create some cap space. That, uh, but uh, I didn't like taking on $8 million a year, a 7.2 cap hit long-term for a suspect OEL who people at the time, Dan, were saying, oh, maybe just a, and I think it might have been Benning, we think a change of scenery will help him. Well, I don't want you to think a change of scenery. You better know a change of scenery. And as well, uh, you're still trying to eat on that contract, away and away, never mind what you gave up, to lose deals, Dan, that were up in a year, basically. Most The Erickson deal was up in a year. You couldn't well, wait it, it out. Yeah. You had enough of that. You couldn't wait it out. You couldn't buy it mm-hmm. out. 
this is just another dumb move going back for the Canucks that still continues to affect them with young players they could have drafted as well as the existing players they're trying to bite on these contracts with. Well, and the fact that he was he was flirting with with thirty at, at the time of the deal, and and I know that that um, you know the the fact that this contract is is only probably going to age worse uh, over time is 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 something that I know has been discussed to death uh, in this market, and and will be likely uh, until there's some sort of solution on the horizon. But um, no, I, I mean. You know, I'm I'm sort of sitting here watching Connor Bedard, and and you, you sort of think about other number one overall picks and and recent prospects that have sort of really moved the meter. Um, I mean, Austin Matthews never got seven points in a World Junior game. I mean, granted, it was a bit of a different circumstance back then, and and Austin Matthews he played his draft year professionally out of Switzerland, if I'm not mistaken. But I mean. It, is I'm, tr- I'm I'm trying to sort of figure out if if Connor Bedard is the most hyped prospect since Connor McDavid, and, and I think the answer has to be yes, guys. Especially just with what what he's doing, and I think the biggest takeaway for me watching Connor Bedard is is just the expression on his face never changes, uh, and, and I use this term almost complimentary, but he was robotic in his dominance yesterday. Like he he was just impregnable with the way he was just going about his business um and even early on with the game you know tied 1-1 Germany sort of gets a gets a squeaky one to tie the game Connor Bedard just said follow me guys I'm 17 years old and I'm going to put the team on my back and and then just I'll, I'll tie a bow around this guys with some some world junior fodder here the single tournament record for points by a player under the age of 18 at the world juniors Yarmur Yager, 18 points in the 1990 World Juniors. Wayne Gretzky had 17 when he was just 16 years old. Uh, Eric Lindros and Jesse Pugliarvi also had 17 points as under 18 players. Um, Bedard has five more games to go, probably, to try and get there. Um, he's got eight points in the first two games uh, and with a, with a layup today against Austria. Uh, I think he's going to get awfully close, if not be right there with the likes of Yager, Gretzky, Lindros, and Pujarvi, which one of those guys is not like the other. Well, you mentioned some big names there, too. And Andrew Truck, as you mentioned off the top, he's had a seven-point game. Who's Gabriel Bork? I must admit, not off the top of my head of Borks when you throw that name at me. Hey, Angry Typer, cut that out. Uh, (laughs) Who is Gabriel Bork? Uh, I meant that Gabriel you... Bork was, oh, I can tell you who Gabriel Bork was. If please, you'd like to know. please tell me who he is. <laughs> yeah. At the time he was a fifth round draft pick of the Nashville predators. What year? Uh, played for, uh, he was a fifth round pick in 2009. So see, he would have been drafted by Nashville in 2009. Then he would have gone to Canada, the world juniors and, and put up that seven point game, uh, played for Bay Como and Moncton out of the queue. And, uh, as most recent as 2019, 20 Gabriel Bork played 52 games in a season for the Winnipeg Jets and appeared in three playoff games. He's got a, a decent, a respectable NHL career, 413 career NHL games, 36 more in the playoffs, and 40 career NHL regular season goals to his credits. 
So Gabriel Bork with Nashville, Colorado, and Winnipeg currently plays in the American League with Laval in the, uh, the Laval Rocket in the American Hockey League. Still playing, never heard of him. 400 NHL games he's played, never heard of him. There's a few of those guys floating around that I haven't heard of over the years. A lot of players in the league now, Dan. It's not a six-team league anymore. There's a lot of players <laughs> in this league. Over 400 games for Gabriel Bork. Uh, yep. And so that World Junior Tournament where he had seven points in one game uh, only added two more points for the entire remainder of the tournament. Finished uh, with six games played, nine total points. And that was the World Junior guys, um, the the second World Juniors for Jordan Eberle. It was the the Canada-U.S. final. John Carlson won it for the United States in overtime on a on a patented John Carlson shot from from down the right wing, uh, it was in Saskatoon. It was uh, it was quite a tournament. Uh, Braden Shen, Jordan Everly, Taylor Hall, Nazem Kadri, just some of the notable alumni uh, of that Canadian World Junior Club as well. Canada eleven two over Germany. They've got Austria today. Bedard three goals, four assists. Gunther potentially a Canuck. They would, have, they would have picked somebody else anyway, probably. But anyway, Gunther, that Arizona used, the Canuck pick that they picked up in that big deal where Vancouver unloaded a whole bunch of one-year contracts and took back a whole bunch of longer-term contracts. Well, one anyway. Stan Coven, the Kamloops Blazers stud, Dallas Star pick, a goal and two helpers. And Zach O. Stopchuk, some love for the Vancouver Giant. He scored as well. Just about everybody did. Actually, that's not true. Bedard and uh, Gunther had six of the 11. Zach Ostopchuk, good on him. That's the 11-1. Canada win over Germany, Austria today for the Canadians. Uh, I'm going to give you the opportunity, buddy, and you don't have to take me up on this, but as I'm just playing lead here for what happened, do you have what happens? I bet you may have what happens, and I've never – it's only our second day working together, so I don't know if this throw is going to be smooth or not or if that's entirely possible at this point, Dan. Uh, I do. Well, there was a a pretty sizable comeback in the NHL last night and and one that has Pittsburgh Penguins fans probably not feeling too good about life this morning, but uh, a 4-0 lead for the Pittsburgh Penguins dissipated um, into nothing with the Detroit Red Wings coming back and and staking claim to a victory. Um, it, you know, a, a total come from behind win for the Detroit Red Wings. Who, you know, you want to talk about teams again, low hanging fruit, but I'm going to go there. I mean, you, you know, you sort of look at the the teams that have been toiling at the bottom of the NHL standings for for so many years with with Buffalo and Detroit. Um, Ottawa Senators have have struggled maybe a little bit more than we thought they would, but you've got New Jersey, Detroit, and Buffalo out east that are all playing 500 or better hockey right now. Uh, Steve Eiserman and some savvy moves made by the Red Wings in the offseason. I don't think Detroit is a playoff team this year. Uh, they, they've still got a pretty big mountain to climb, and right now they're they're sort of six points back of that uh, while, no, yeah, yeah, there's six points back of the New York Rangers right now in the East, albeit with three games in hand. But um, yeah, I, I mean, a, a pretty epic comeback for the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, the Calgary Flames were winners last night, a three-two regulation win over the Seattle Kraken. So if you're if you're already scoreboard watching on behalf, of, you know, being a Canucks fan and trying to figure out sort of what that means, well, it was big for Calgary because it vaulted the Flames into the top three 
of the Pacific Division standings. The Seattle Kraken, they've been, you know, so consistent this year in their second year of existence, but all of a sudden they are now in a wild card spot. And what this now sort of means from a Canuck perspective is right now ahead of you, if you are the Canucks, you've got Edmonton at 40 points, Colorado at 40 points. You're probably not catching them. They're going to round into form. But you've got Edmonton and Seattle ahead of you with 40 points. You've got 35 if you're the Vancouver Canucks. One of those two teams in your division, you're going to have to leapfrog. And I'm looking at Seattle as that team that if the Canucks are going to do it, that's going to be the team to catch. But given the uh, the challenges that present the Canucks in their schedule, it is a tall mountain to climb indeed. But the Calgary Flames doing the Canucks a, a, a favor, question mark, last night with a regulation road victory and Jonathan Huberto starting to heat up as well for the Calgary Flames. Not so sure how much of a favor it is, too. That was a pick last night because of just what you mentioned. Like, Calgary's now ahead of him in, in a wild card position. The Canucks are now chasing. So that was a game, no matter what happened last night, Canucks are going to lose ground on teams they're chasing. When we come back, Dan, let's talk about who falls in and who falls out. Because as you mentioned, the Canucks right now sitting on 35 points, five points behind three teams that are tied up for two wild card spots. There's some names in there too. So who falls in, who falls out? The Kraken's fall may have started in the out category. And who's behind Vancouver or right with Vancouver that's likely to fall in? So not only are the Canucks chasing some teams, there's some teams right around them that are likely, they're not bad enough to fall out they gotta fall in if you follow we're gonna fall into a commercial break and we've got more things coming your way too i'll run down the full scoreboard for you on the other side as well brooke ward dan o'connor a cole you know a dog he's slowing that one you'll get there eventually a dog is with us you bark me up if you wanted to right there uh anyway uh we're coming back in just a moment stay with us halford and bruff are away this week they're back next tuesday everything wanted a morning show except halford and bruff this is sportsnet 650 you're listening to the best of the day halford and bruff this is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 7.32 here, Thursday morning, beautiful Vancouver. The beautiful rain. I'll take the beautiful rain over that drift of snow over the last little while. We come to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, snow's fine. Keep it on the mountains. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit. You can do that at Kintech.net. Brooke Ward, Dan O'Connor with you. Fill it in for Halford and Bruff, who will be back next Tuesday. Our guest, Frank Saravelli, the daily face-off. Frank, thanks for doing this, my friend. How are you this morning? morning boys happy holidays thanks for uh thanks for joining us my friend uh dan and i broke early last segment by a couple of minutes and the nhl fined us one hundred thousand dollars your thoughts uh yeah do not violate the cba that'll hit you in the wallet uh the travel days are really clear guys december 24th 5th and 6th you cannot travel you cannot even go to the rink the locker rooms are closed well, they, uh, we've had some people suggesting in our, uh, our text message inbox here that that's excessive, and why would they do that? But a rule's a rule. It's in the CBA, and the players had to, uh, the Leaf players had to at least buy into it to leave early as well, I would suggest to you. But 
a rule is a rule, right? I mean, you can't leave early. They might have avoided some travel problems that other teams had to deal with and then play. Yeah, it's not so much avoiding the travel problems. It's making sure that everyone has a uniform amount of time off, that those three days, the holiday break, are for everyone to enjoy, that no one should be pressed into coming back to work early. It's a sort of classic union-type setup. And the Leafs didn't abide by it. As you mentioned, the players have to be on board. Um, You know, if at some point that had popped up in conversation with, you know, Leafs brass as they're putting all this together, uh, that they were going to leave early, all they simply had to do is call the NHLPA and, and make sure that that doesn't happen. But in this case, they were clearly on board. They wanted to get to St. Louis early. And it's also a competitive balance thing, too. Like, you don't want the Leafs getting any sort of advantage over another team that also has to travel for a game on December 27th. So that's why it's in place. They decided that uh, they were going to do whatever they wanted, and that's the punishment. Frank, it's uh, it's quite an intriguing time to be a, a Canuck follower and a Canuck fan right now. This team has won seven of their last ten. They've got a three-game winning streak heading into just a daunting month of January. And no doubt you're aware of the all the discussion that's that's been had right now and, and still is, is being had around Bo Horvat. But can you just sort of speak to the, the Canucks of recent weeks, the fact that they've been able to put themselves over the five mark on the cusp of a playoff spot potentially in the Western Conference and just maybe some of the key contributing factors that have sort of put the Canucks knocking on the door again of the playoff picture in the West. Yeah, I think the toughest part about sizing up the Canucks and their season is that how many times have they been in this spot over the last three to four weeks where they've made a push they get to 500, they're knocking on the door of the playoffs, and then they come out with an absolute dud of a game. It's been two steps forward, three steps back for the last, I'd say, even longer than three to four weeks. It's like six weeks, eight weeks. And I think when you really look at it in the grand scheme of things, the 30,000-foot view of, you know, not just, with an eye on the deadline and and how the season plays out. But if you're in the front office and you're Patrick Alvin and you're Jim Rutherford and you're looking at the next five years, I mean, really what they're experiencing now, yes, you like to see the fight. You love to see uh, Elias Pettersson and his game grow. You love to see Quinn Hughes finally get a goal and get on the board and, and knock, uh, you know, that stat line and, and topic of conversation off the board. Uh, you know, you like to see uh, the progress that you've gotten, uh, certainly in, in net with Spencer Martin and picking up for Thatcher Demko. But at the same time, in that perspective view, really all this has done is is push the Canucks, I believe, further back. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, you're dealing with a special draft class and the Canucks clearly in a crowded Pacific division with a team like Seattle not falling off the map and Edmonton and Calgary fighting for playoff spots. Like there's just no room for the Canucks. Like I I haven't seen anything to this point that would give anyone any sort of confidence to say this team can scratch and claw its way into the playoffs. And more to the point, even if they did, what are, what are you looking at in terms of 
this team actually being able to do damage, that all it does is get you further away from figuring out where this team is heading in the future, and it, all it does is cloud what's been a really difficult season already. Frank, the NHL trade freeze ended yesterday. Uh, teams are open for business again. Given the, the just maybe the injury situation around the league, is there, uh, I mean, uh, we've heard St. Louis would be a team that might be interested in Bo Horvat down the line. The New York Islanders have probably kicked some tires. Um, the Boston Bruins, looking at their roster, could be a potential fit for a Bo Horvat. Is there, is there anything new, any new hunches, any new inklings on your end that, that, any new teams maybe in that mix that you look at and you think, hmm, the more and more this season continues, I could see them as a potential landing spot for the likes of a Bo Horvat? Yeah, I would say yes. The, the list is, is longer than just the couple that you mentioned. Obviously, I would include uh, a team like the Colorado Avalanche, depending on what they do down the middle. Uh, do they just go out and treat someone like Horvat as a pure rental? Uh, the center market is growing a bit. Um, in terms of some other names that may be out there, I think that at a certain point, Ryan O'Reilly from the Blues will be in the mix, and we already have some other competition, you know, maybe a, a little bit less or so in Jonathan Taves. Um, so the, the rental market is, is really interesting in that sense. Um, you know, I would say um, Edmonton is another potential fit uh, in terms of a player like uh, Bo Horvat stylistically. But where it really gets interesting, and I would say the reason why there's nothing top of mind or pressing in terms of making a deal happen this week is the idea that what makes Horvat so enticing to some other teams is that you could potentially see some non-playoff teams and teams that are out of contention get in the mix because this may be their only opportunity. You know, you look at the way the market shapes up. You look at the way NHL teams hang on to players. There, There's very little movement. And so if you want to get Bo Horvat, this may be your only opportunity at this deadline because whoever is grabbing him likely or maybe locking him up uh, long term. And so you'd have to do your shopping now for the summer. So I think that's the other wrinkle that comes into play here with Horvat when you're looking at the deadline that makes it, you know, probably even more intriguing. Funny, Frank. I mean, it's the Horvat situation is is great talk for Vancouver anyway, if not other ports of call around the National Hockey League for what are they going to do with them? But we just did this last year. So with Miller. So I'm in the just call me when you trade him, will you? If it's going to happen, because we thought Miller, we did the exact same thing. We're asking you the exact same questions. And then they decide we'll keep him. So Canuck. I mean, at the end of the year, they might just figure out a way to go, hey, yeah, well, we'll keep them, especially if they don't get a deal they're looking for, and then they'll have to figure some way to fit them in under the cap. But we've just done this. I Here think that we would go be a again. huge mistake. Because? And the reason I, I think that's a mistake is because take a look at some other teams that have really struggled over the last few years that have hemmed and hawed with their own free agents. Take a look at Tomas Hurdle and the San Jose Sharks. Obviously, the Canucks aren't quite as bad as the Sharks, but they haven't won the last number of years with Hurdle and with Carlson and with Burns and all these other guys that they had. Why are you tripping all over yourself to bring these guys back, sign them to major long-term deals that just further complicate your cap picture to then what? Not win again? 
Like you, you have to at some point go in a different direction. And I could see if you had made the determination previously that Horvat was going to be the guy that you were going to build around because he was a closer fit to your age scheme and what you're after. But how many times have we heard Jim Rutherford say, we're looking for players 25 and under? Well, Horvat's 27. Miller's going to be 31 by the end of the first year of his deal. Like, Miller is the guy that really threw a wrench into the entire process because they went out and signed him to that deal that now it's way more difficult to keep Horvat. And it just threw the entire calculation off. So now to go forward and, and then keep Horvat, yeah, he's been unbelievable this year, but your team still isn't a playoff team with him. I totally agree. But to answer your question, why would they do that? Oh, because they're the Canucks. That's why they do a lot of things, and they keep themselves in this same middle-of-the-pack team that just wants to try and get eighth place if they can do anything to get a little bit of playoff revenue, Frank. And they keep they keep messing up their draft position because they just stay in the middle of the pack, and they do dumb stuff like this, and they never fix their defense. So that's, that's why it could happen. I expect him to get traded, but I thought Miller was going last year is why I brought it up, I guess. I uh, do want to ask you something, Frank. Uh, you had talked about the standings in the West, too. Who's basically, you know, are the Oilers going to come on? Are the Kraken going to still stay there? If I'm looking for a team, because I don't see the Canucks making the playoffs, there's too many good teams around them that maybe haven't hit their uh, stride yet. Who falls in? Who falls out? Will Seattle fall out and Edmonton and St. Louis come on? Do you see anybody in particular that you would say that's a fall-in team or the fall-out team? I would say just based on the way the season has gone and how – truly meteoric it's been or or polarizing it's been for the blues that I'd expect them to fall out uh, and remain out. Um, Both the the Oilers and Flames have so much to lose. I'd imagine they both figure it out, particularly Edmonton. Once they get Evander Kane back, whenever that is, he's been such a big piece missing and uh, is really the perfect stylistic fit for that team. Um, Calgary, you know, They've had moments and flashes. The lack of consistency has been maddening. And I think everyone's looking toward the Kraken to fall out. But, I mean, mathematically, they've got, I think, four games in hand over the Flames, if I looked at the standings correctly this morning from memory. They do. That That's, I mean, that's enormous. And they're in a spot where they basically only really need to play 500 hockey down the stretch, maybe like 510 or 520 in order to get to 96 points. That's how many they've already banked and accumulated. So I would say Seattle is going to be in one of those final wildcard spots. Um, There's a really good chance of it at least. And where you're going to see some carnage probably is on the other end in the central. I think everyone's expecting Colorado once they get, their players healthy and back, uh, that they're going to be in a good spot moving forward. But what happens with some of those other teams that are in the mix in the Central, which teams are going to fall out? Mm-hmm. Frank, the, uh, the speaking of carnage, at the bottom of the NHL standings, Bedard Watch is in full effect, and, and you just 
only need to look at yesterday at the World Juniors. You see a seven-point performance, something that only two other Canadians have ever done. Anaheim not doing themselves any favors by beating Vegas yesterday. Um, where I'm sort of going with this is you look at Chicago, you look at Columbus, you look at Anaheim, and maybe even Philadelphia and Arizona. Is there a team at the very bottom of the NHL standings that you think um, is the clear de facto favorite to have the best lottery odds as things currently stand? Or is there just simply way too much hockey left and way too much accidental winning left, perhaps, <laughs> to really draw a clear conclusion. <laughs> well, there's yeah, there's certainly been no shortage of accidental winning this year. I think we're going to be getting toward the quality loss stage of the year for some of these teams as, as the year goes on. But two teams in particular stand out. I mean, look, Columbus has just been so impossibly bad, and I'm going to exclude them, actually. I'm, I'm going to talk about Anaheim and Chicago. And the reason for those two teams is the rosters are about to get a lot thinner. It may take right until the March 3rd trade deadline, but Chicago has so many pieces to move. When you start with Kane, Taves, uh, you've got Max Domi, Andreas Athanasiu, uh, Sam Lafferty potentially. Like They could go any which number of directions. Does someone call on an injury-prone defenseman like Jake McCabe, who actually some teams view as a really good player? Um, they, they can continue to tear that thing down, continue to pull off and pluck off parts and pieces. And Anaheim, similarly, but on a lesser scale in that they don't have nearly as much depth, that makes it interesting. But when you take a, a roster that already has so few bona fide NHL defensemen and then take off a player like John Klingberg, who's played better of late, well, then it just becomes that much more difficult to win. Because I don't know what the goaltending market looks like, but someone had asked me yesterday about the idea of a John Gibson trade. I think Anaheim has a number of ways in which they could go, and you know that Pat Verbeek is going to be as creative as possible to try and reboot that team, and, and you know that rebuild is in full steam. So um, those are two teams, given where they are in the standings, the lack of points that they've had. Chicago feels like they went five weeks without a win. Um, Anaheim has struggled to win in regulation. That I think it's a race to the bottom between those two teams. Frank, buddy, I thank you so much for joining us here today. I, I probably kept you longer than they normally do here, but but I'm new here, my friend. So I hope uh, all good. you'll forgive me. So <laughs> No, all good. It was great. Great to connect with you guys, and uh, Happy New Year. All the best in 2023. Thank you, pal. S same to you. Thank you. That is Frank Saravelli, daily face-off on the Halford and Bruff Show with Brooke Ward, Dan O'Connor, a dog here as well, doing damage <laughs> on a Thursday morning. Barking up the right tree on a Thursday morning here as well. Very interesting, the thoughts there in Chicago, too, of moving parts and whatnot, Dan. When you talk yeah. about they do have a lot, all of a sudden you get to the end of the rainbow here, and it's like, well, we got to move a cane, you got to move a Taves. They've been here for a while. But, boy, you have a chance, to, if you can do that, if you plan on doing that, as other teams will say, ah, just let them play the string out here and be a career Chicago Blackhawk. Other teams say, no, let's move them and see what we can get for them. The, the interesting thing about that too, guys, is not only are we talking about Kane and Taves and McCabe and Lafferty and some of these guys in Chicago, but keep in mind, they also 
They moved Kirby Dock in the summer. They moved Alex Dabrinkit in the summer. So they, they started the teardown far earlier. And, and you know, I, I, I think I read something in The Athletic a day or two ago about, you know, would Chicago be even any better if they still had Dock and Dabrinkit on their team? And I'm not necessarily convinced that they would be. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's... Um, it's it's sure interesting, and and Columbus. We talked about them a little bit yesterday. Their injury woes, and and who in their right mind would have thought that with Johnny Goudreau and Patrick Laine and a, and a roster of 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 young forwards that Columbus had, that they would be this bad. Uh, the Anaheim Ducks. I mean, there are some nice pieces there for the future. When you think about Drysdale, you think about Trevor Zegras, Mason McTavish. I think is is his best days are for sure ahead of him. But um, maybe you do look at trading. Uh, a John Gibson. There's got to be a team out there that could use a John Gibson sort of upgrade. But uh, to me, I, I, I think I I largely agree with Frank in his assessment that, that things in Chicago are going to get worse before they get better. And it sort of begs the question about Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. Will both of them waive their no trade clauses? Where do they end up? Um, would would a, a fit with the New York Rangers make sense for Patrick Kane? What about the Colorado Avalanche and Jonathan Taves? It is very compelling stuff. And moving again, like the Canucks and other teams as well have chosen at times not to move players when they could have because they think it means more to the organization to keep them there as lifers. Yet there's a few more Stanley Cups in Chicago than Vancouver, so those lifers in Chicago have uh, already uh, paid their dues. The uh, Dunbar-Lunber text in line, text box, in line text box, 65650. It's on my script here, the text text box, inbox. I'm, I'm getting a line out of there now, Andy, because it's just bugging me. Uh, uh, do what you got to do, man. Sorry. Oh. I know. I know. Uh, and, uh, let me quickly throw this in, guys. Halford & Bruff brought to you by Avenue Machinery, our number two, brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Build your company to win with Kubota from Avenue Machinery, our number two of the Halford & Bruff Show. Nice uh, cover for me as I'm writing here because I do not multitask well. Dunbar Lumber Text Inbox, 650-650, the smart alternative visit Dunbar Lumber on our Butis in Vancouver. They're also in Bridge Street and Ladner. Online, DunbarLumber.com, the message inbox. We were talking food earlier. We're still talking food. We were talking pizza. What's your pizza? We were also talking what's your go-to. Would you have breakfast for dinner, which is going to happen in the Ward household tonight for sure. We were also talking Hawaiian pizza. And uh, A. Cole over there, he uh, said it's probably in Hawaii where Hawaiian pizza was discovered. And when you think about it, they just it's like you go to Japan and no one there invented the California rule. It's like, this is Japan. We're not inventing the California rule. This is Japan. So it was not in Hawaii. People say it was in Ontario. It's a Canadian invention. You know what? I did know that at one point, forgot about it. But yes, that is that is true. Someone Hawaiian in, pizza. Maybe. Canadian. Oh, man. That's going to happen tonight, too. It's going to be a big night for the wards. <laughs> uh Surrey Ryan says pizza to go. He likes his pepperoni, sausage, mushroom, banana peppers because he needs that kick. And where's the dude that put pickles on a pizza? That's in here somewhere, too. Like pickles on a pizza. Oh, there it is. Uh, Snoop the dog. Bacon, hot Italian sausage, no problem yet, and pickles. And then cheese on top of the toppings, not the toppings on top of the cheese. You can do whatever you like. You I'd go give both. that a whirl. I'd give it a whirl. Pickles. Yeah. 
Cheese on top is a very popular choice. Uh, an old trainer friend of mine, a good friend of mine, actually from the Prince George Cougars, that was his jam. He would um, he would insist that the cheese would be on top of every pizza. Don't think there were ever any pickles on his uh, on his slice, though. You see, you put pizza on top, then you can't pick the pickles out, and it's the mystery pick. It's a mystery pizza too for people. You could have anchovies. I had anchovies in a pizza once. Oh my god, it was horrible. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever no ever try that. No, just some one of my buddies years ago. Hey, let's put anchovies on that. Yeah, okay. Oh man, salty, fishy, not for me. Uh, we also talked earlier about uh, Denny's on Marine Drive in Vancouver, about to close its location as well as we were talking about the Grand Slam, and that uh, GG's on Broadway closed. It's kind of a bummer show right now. Uh, Bobby in Vancouver says, "Morning, guys." Uh, Blake, how about another staple to add? Thank you, Blake Ward with you this morning. Blake. <laughs> Close enough. How about another, not the first time, uh, another staple, Martini's Pizza on Broadway, which is a block away from GC's. I think he says it's closing as well, which was another staple. In the old sports talk days, uh, Blake Russell and I, we used to go after the show and uh, go to Martini's too, which uh, which Dan had liked a whole lot too. So that one's closing. Uh, pesto. Pesto Pizza for the win. Says someone as well. You gotta put some. Have you had pets, pesto on your pizza, guys? You probably you might have not known it. Oh, you you'll know when you have pesto on your pizza. It's yeah. a, it's a flavorful experience. It's good though. You have to. Uh, California rolls probably invented in California. Says somebody. California well, rolls on a pizza. I'm yeah. Right. Ooh, there you go. There you Japanese go. pizza. Pickles are like pineapple, but a little saltier. Says Snoop the dog. Uh, yes, pesto is great on pizza, but I'm uh, a man of sensitive tastes, so I just put little dabs here and there. I wouldn't like put it on with a trowel. You wouldn't uh, find p- that pesto happening. is p- there's there is like a sneaky amount of calories in like a spoonful of pesto. So who was hey Blake uh, said uh, Bobby in Vancouver? Now I got Brock from Gary. We're getting so close, Brock. Good to begin the day hearing you guys. Uh, and uh, someone says, uh, it is beautiful Vancouver today, says BP and Mission. I'm going golfing today, something we could not do a week ago. Although you could, but it was hard to find your ball. Back to our Brock Besser quote of the week. You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Brock.